Well, good morning and welcome to the IPM podcast. This is another in a series where we are having an opportunity to visit with University of Minnesota Extension faculty about IPM programs and concepts in the state of Minnesota. My name is Dave Nicolai with the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm a regional extension educator in crops and also am the coordinator for our Institute of Ag Professional program here on St. Paul campus. Uh, with us today is Dr. Dean Melvick. Dean is a professor in the Department of Plant Pathology and also Director of Graduate Studies. And Dean is also the Extension Plant Pathologist, primarily working with corn and soybeans. So welcome to the podcast. And Dean, can you tell us a little bit about yourself as we begin the program in terms of your background here, coming here to the University of Minnesota and some of the projects that you're currently involved with? Yes, Dave. Okay. I'm, I'm glad to be here and part of this podcast today. So as Dave said, I, I work with corn and soybean diseases across the state of Minnesota, and that's my primary responsibility. And before this, I was working with corn and soybean diseases at the University of Illinois for a number of years. And so I've been working with these kinds of uh, topics, uh, doing research and extension for a while, and uh, have uh, seen a lot of things, done a lot of research of different types, much of that with collaborators across the region. But we've seen a lot of different things, learned a lot of different things along the way, and it's it's an always interesting position because things keep changing. And as we go along here in our discussion, we'll talk about some of the new diseases that show up on crops and what we need to look for and think about in terms of what they do and how they might manage, how they might affect crops. Well, certainly talking about things that keep changing, Dean, uh, we're recording this on August 17th. So we've had part of the cropping season that's already occurred here in Minnesota. We will have, obviously, two more months left to go. But let's talk a little bit about what's happened in the past couple of months during the 2018 cropping season. Can you highlight anything in terms of disease situations, observations that you or others might have been making here in terms of how the season's gone so far from a crop disease standpoint? Sure. And I think it's easiest to talk about it as we separate it by crop. So if we think about soybean, and you know, one of the major concerns a lot of folks have had after last year when there was a lot of white mold across Minnesota is how much white mold might there be this year in the soybean crop. And the good news is it seems like there's much less than last year. And we've had less frequent rains in most parts of the state. We've had warmer conditions. And those two together make conditions less favorable for white mold. That doesn't mean we're totally escaping it. It's certainly developing in some fields and we're watching it. And as Dave mentioned, here we are August 17th as we record this. This is, this is just about the time, the middle of August, when diseases really start to show up in soybean and corn crops, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But this is a prime time to be scouting fields to see what's happening. You mentioned, uh, Dean, uh, the white mold and the incidence of that developing. Can you talk to us a little bit about the symptoms and the scouting for white mold? If growers or ag professionals are involved with that, what types of things in the field should they be looking for? What type of cropping history? And what are good scenarios for perhaps detecting and finding white mold? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, white mold is, is one of the easier diseases to recognize and diagnose. It develops a, a white fungal growth on the stems of the plants, and oftentimes there's small black structures associated with that, which are called sclerotia. Because the disease, the fungus, produces those, that's one of the dangerous 
aspects of it because they fall into the soil and can live in the soil for many years. And so, Dave, you mentioned cropping history. In some ways, that doesn't make that much difference because these sclerotia, which start the infection process each year, live in the soil for long periods of time. So even after a number of years away from a host crop, such as with corn or, or even a cereal crop, such as wheat, the sclerotia can be there and the risk can still be there in a soybean crop if the conditions are favorable, when it's wet and cool, especially during the mid-July period when soybeans are in full bloom. Have we had the weather conditions, Dean, that were favorable for white mold development? In other words, the rainfall pattern, you've talked about this in the past during the month of July. Are we, quote, set up for uh, incidents of this more so than even last year or less so? No, as I alluded to a moment ago, less so. We, we've had, I think, less frequent rains in many places and warmer weather conditions. So even though some places have had a lot of rain in terms of total accumulation, some of those places in the, in the prime times and didn't get a lot of frequent rain. But, but the main driver, even in those areas, is probably the high temperatures we've had relatively this July and now August certainly are suppressing development of white mold. But like I said before, there are fields where it is developing. We are not escaping it, and we rarely do in any particular year. What would be some of the first uh, signs or signatures out in the field that farmers might detect here now the month of August? You know, even if they're in a case where they're not scouting, but they're observing from the field edge in, in terms of uh, the plant growth above the ground and so forth, if they're if they're not out caught in the middle, will they see plants wilting or what are some of the symptomology? Yes, yeah, so the, the most obvious thing to see is dead plants scattered throughout a field or through part of the field. And, and that is often quite obvious. We, we have a research uh, demonstration plot here on campus where it, it shows that exact pattern. Look at it from a, a distance, you can see scattered dead plants. If we go into that section of the field and start looking down into the canopy, down toward the soil, we find a lot of plants that are, that are dying, have dead branches, the stems are dying. And so that's what to look for. And to know it's white mold, let's look for that white fungal growth on the stem, which is just the number one symptom that we see. Now, we're late in the season. So from a grower perspective, to do anything about it at this point in time during the growing season, are there any recommendations or is it something that we have to look at to be more proactive in terms of variety selection um, other types of management options for the next year or two. Yes, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there. There's nothing we can do this year anymore to stop that disease. And so we need to think about the future, planting more resistant varieties, planting a lower density, a, a lower plant population, planting wider rows, and under some conditions, fungicides can be beneficial. They won't totally stop the disease, but they can reduce the, the, uh, the severity of it and yield loss due to it. But those need to be applied before the disease starts, which would typically be early July. So again, it's a, it's a preemptive uh, action, not, not a curative action that we can take for white mold. Last year, Dean, we had uh, quite an incidence in a lot of areas in Minnesota with white mold. Were there reports from growers trying to be, quote, more Proactive in fungicide uh, applications, um, any recommendations or and or product or mode of action that you would recommend if they are considering that for the future? 
Yes, we, we talk about that at our winter meetings each year. You know, there, there are a number of products that seem to work better than others. And what I mean are foliar fungicides. I won't name those right now, but the, those types of data are out there. But, but a lot of different products have some efficacy. There's no, no question that they do. Again, the key thing there is proper timing and proper application to get the product down in the canopy where the infections start. The infections don't start at the top. They start near the bottom or middle of the plant, typically. And again, they need to be applied right about the time flowering starts and when the rows are filling. So I remember talking to an individual a few weeks ago, and he had a serious problem with white mold in 2017. I asked him what he was doing this year. He said it was going to spread. Well, it was already, the soybeans were already at R3, well past the optimal time for control uh, with, with, a, with a fungicide. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. If we want the maximum efficacy with a white mold fungicide, we need to get them on early. Well, we'd like to talk about some other diseases, but to finish this up, and maybe not to put you on the spot here, Dean, but if you had to name the top three management strategies for white mold, maybe in terms of priority or order for Minnesota growers in terms of managing white mold, how would you rank them in, in terms of uh, growers uh, dealing with this disease? Yeah, the three things that I would do, I would, it's feasible, I, I would change row spacing. I would reduce plant populations. And again, that depends on where we are in the state, but in the southern part of the state, that might be 120, 130,000 seeds per acre. I would consider those two things first, as well as planting the most resistant soybean variety that I could find. Now, there's no such thing as completely resistant soybean variety, but the very susceptible ones are much more susceptible than the most highly resistant ones. So they do make a difference under most conditions. Okay, well, thank you. Well, moving on to another disease, I know that you've done a lot of research in, um, out at Rosemont and other locations across the state, and that's sudden death syndrome. Can you talk a little bit about SDS? Uh, we've observed it every year in Minnesota, sometimes more, sometimes less. And a little bit about what it is to begin with and briefly talk about the life cycle here and what kinds of economic impacts growers that are dealing with disease often have in terms of their uh, economic effect in their own particular fields. Yes, okay, sudden death syndrome is a relatively new disease confirmed in Minnesota in 2003, I believe it was, by Dr. Jim Curley and his colleagues. And it's, it's a significant problem in, in some places in some years. And so it's a fungal soil-borne disease. The fungus survives in the soil, again, for long periods of time. Rotation doesn't do a lot of good in terms of managing it, so it's not very effective practice. So the disease, what it, what it does, it infects, the, the fungus infects the roots of the plant early in the season, probably within two to four weeks after the seed is planted. So that's an optimal time for both potentially protecting the plant from infection as well as a need for favorable conditions for the infection, which are typically wet soil. And then if it stays wet through June and July, those are the conditions that really favor that development of the disease. So the fungus infects the roots, the lower part of the stem, and produces a toxin that moves into the top of the plant that destroys leaf tissue and causes browning and yellowing between the veins. So this is just about the time of the year we're often seeing it, and that's what I'm hearing from many parts of the state. Those parts of the state that have had a lot of rain this summer, especially the west, southwest, are seeing more SDS in many areas than they have for a number of years. And that matches that pattern of, of wet soil conditions really favoring that disease. 
and it can cause a significant hit uh, on yield. Um, so it is something important to watch. And the other important thing about it, if you think about the name, whether it's a, a good name or not is kind of irrelevant, but it's called sudden death syndrome because the disease comes into the crop what appears kind of suddenly. And that is the crop can look very, very good and have luxury green growth. And then a couple weeks later, you may have lost many of its leaves and, and be very yellow and brown because of sudden death syndrome. And that's exactly what's happening in some places now. So this is an optimal time to scout for sudden death syndrome and to determine where it's developing and, and what conditions seem to have favored it. So getting to the question that they've had before about managing this, the two best things we can do for sudden death syndrome, again, there's nothing we can do this season. But looking to the future, there are many soybean varieties with high levels of resistance to SDS, and those are very effective. The other thing we can do is there are a few seed treatments that are effective. Any comments about field history or previous situations where SDS had been cited in the field, perhaps two years ago for in a corn-soybean situation? Is it a disease that a farmer may deal with you know, over the years in a multi-year situation? Again, depending upon the weather type of a situation, or is it more sporadic in nature? It's, it's really driven by weather conditions. So there are some places we don't see it for a number of years, even though we've had good soybean yields, we know the disease is in the field. It just doesn't develop until we get those right weather conditions. But field history has, has a, a strong predictive value because it definitely occurs more often where it's been before. But if we get into a year like this in parts of west, southwest Minnesota where rain has been much more than normal in some areas, SDS is showing up where it hasn't showed up for many years or maybe not ever. So the fungus is probably present in more fields than we know about. And essentially it's waiting there till the right conditions to infect soybean. I neglected to ask this question before, but if we talk about resistant varieties for both white mold and SDS, in your experience and in research, is there anything such as a true 100% resistant soybean varieties uh, available for both white mold and SDS, or is it something less? It's less. There's nothing completely resistant, either white mold or, or SDS, but there are varieties of soybean available with resistance to white mold and or SDS that have a high level of resistance that provide much more protection against yield loss than the truly susceptible varieties. So that's something to keep in mind. Can't completely avoid the disease by planting a resistant variety, but they can go a long way in protecting the crop against significant yield loss that might be caused by a disease. Recently, I believe that you authored a University of Minnesota Extension Crop E-News looking for some assistance in terms of sampling for various crop diseases. Do you want to mention a little bit about what that entailed and what you were hoping to look for in terms of assistance, in terms of sample collection? Yes. Um, so the fungus that causes SDS, it's a, it's a fusarium fungus that resides in the soil. And as I noted before, it's, it can be many places that we don't even know it exists until we sample for it or we get the right conditions such that soybean get developed symptoms of the disease. So we are really trying to understand how widely distributed that fungus is, especially in northwest Minnesota. We've confirmed it only once or twice, only slightly, say, northwest of Morris in that part of the state. 
So we'd like to know if it's more widely distributed. So we're looking for samples, especially from central and northwest Minnesota, trying to get an idea of where that fungus is present and where there's a risk to soybean. And so that's one aspect. The other is we know this fungus can also cause root rot in other legumes, such as dry edible beans, and perhaps other legumes as well. So we are trying to understand what the risk is to those crops in fields in Minnesota. So we're also looking for samples, especially with dry edible bean, that are showing signs of potential root rot to see if SDS fungus might be playing a role there as well. So if uh, our audience wants to find out more about this, they can search uh, Google, etc., for the University of Minnesota Crappie News. Look for yourself as an author in terms of the sampling of the field. There's more information and instructions within that. Yes, that's right, Dave. That, that article just came out earlier this week. Yes, Dean. One other uh, aspect in terms of soybeans, we talked about a number of diseases. Uh, are there other soybean diseases that we haven't touched upon that might be of significance or on the watch list here in Minnesota in 2018? Yes. Earlier in the season, we've had, we've had very good conditions for rhizoctonia root and stem rot in a number of places. And that's a disease that a lot of folks don't see that commonly in Minnesota routinely. But when we have late planting, like we did this year in some places, we've had wet soil and very warm conditions like we did, for example, over Memorial Day. Those things come together to result in highly favorable conditions for rhizoctonia. So there are some fields that have significant damage from those, including, including our research plots. So that's something to keep in mind for the future. Uh, another disease that's been showing up here and there is uh, Phytophthora root rot, especially where there's been a lot of rain. And I wouldn't say uh, you know, huge amounts of damage, but certainly very obvious in some places. And the other disease that's been a bit of a curiosity and popping up many places is uh, complex stem canker, pot and stem blight. So that's been reported in a number of places from central Minnesota to the southwest and, and maybe beyond. And so keep that in mind as the season progresses as well. Uh, let's switch over while the time reminding and talk a little bit about corn. In the past, uh, there's been Goss's wilt that we've had to uh, deal with in the state of Minnesota. And, of course, it's, it's going to vary from year to year. I'd like you to just mention a little bit about that and also talk a little bit about what some people might consider a fairly new disease, and that's bacterial leaf streak, at least from an incidence in Minnesota. So can you touch on those two? Yes, I, I'd like to start a little bit broader. So a number of leaf diseases have been showing up in Minnesota. You know, and traditionally, leaf diseases have not been a real big issue in Minnesota until Goss's wilt came on the scene about eight years ago. That That is one that certainly we've been seeing in a few fields this year. I haven't heard reports of large-scale damage, at least not as of yet, but I, I think it's a little too early to say how much might be out there. So Goss's wilt is a bacterial disease that it survives in the residue, like many of the other diseases we, we talk about, or in the soil, like many do. This one needs the residue to really survive. It splashes on the foliage, uh, the leaves, infects the stalk as well, and can cause a, a lot of death of the leaves on the plant and significant reductions in yield. So that's very much a disease to watch for. And unfortunately, there are many, many hybrids available now that have good levels of resistance to Goss's wilt. So the availability and wide-scale planting of those seems to have dramatically reduced the amount of Goss's wilt since, that, since in the last six or seven years. So that's certainly a disease to watch for. And, and Dave mentioned another one called bacterial leaf streak. That seems to be a relatively new disease. Exactly how new it is, and we're still trying to explore it. Officially, it was reported in the U.S. for the first time just a few years ago. But 
Some people are also reporting that they may have seen it before that time. Regardless, it, it seems to be increasing and spreading. And again, it's another bacterial disease, so fungicides are not effective against it. This one is so new. Uh, it's only was reported in, in Minnesota officially for the first time in two years ago in August of 2016. So we have a lot to learn about it, but uh, we're seeing it in a number of places in, in central and up into uh, southeast Minnesota, some places in the southwest. It's very apparent in a number of hybrids, a number of locations. It seems like some sweet corn is especially susceptible to it, although we have no evidence yet of how much yield loss it might cause. So at this point, it's more of a curiosity than a, than a real threat, I think but with something to watch and figure out how much damage it might be causing. Well, thank you. Any other corn diseases that you wanted to talk about at this point, or does that kind of cover what we are expecting or going to be concerned with here in the uh, year of 2018? Well, a couple other to mention is in, in the south, and especially in the southwest, physoderma leaf spot and now possibly stock rot seems to be something that's concerning a lot of people. Eye spot is starting to show up. It's another fungal disease, usually not associated with much damage, but nonetheless can be very obvious sometimes. And rusts are also starting to show up. So those are all, all things to look for in corn that may be causing some problems here and there. The good thing is, from what I've seen and heard, we've seen very little northern corn leaf blight develop yet this year. That was a concern a few years ago across southern Minnesota. Hasn't been a real concern the last couple of years. I think with our warm conditions and sort of infrequent rainfalls, even though they might be heavy, really haven't favored that disease too much. But again, we may have outbreaks of that someplace, but overall it doesn't seem to have a big, big problem so far this year in Minnesota. So if growers or ag professionals need help or have questions about that, we do have here at the University of Minnesota a plant disease clinic. We've uh, actually had a podcast with the director here earlier on the podcast series, but but briefly, that's a good resource, isn't it, in terms of helping to identify and verify if you have questions on a corn and soybean disease, especially a little bit later now in the season. It is. They're an excellent resource. It's an excellent lab that has a lot of capacity to help diagnose and understand what problems are affecting crops. So please keep that in mind as, as you encounter problems. And they accept samples from everywhere and uh, can help with any kind of crop or disease problem. And so they have a very nice website that will describe exactly what they do, what the fees are, and how to submit a sample. Dean, to wrap up this podcast, can you talk to us a little bit about available resources that growers and ag professionals might be able to utilize to help them better identify and manage uh, plant diseases, particularly corn and soybean in the state of Minnesota? Yes, Dave. The first one I'll mention is a new soybean disease diagnostic card set that we developed this past winter with funding from the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council. And so this is available through the University of Minnesota Extension website. If you were to search, go into Google and search for Minnesota Soybean Pest Management, at the top of that page, you should, should see a link that says Soybean uh, disease diagnostic card set, which, which has color photos and basic information about all the diseases we discussed here in this podcast, as well as many others. The other resource that we have, that was developed a few years ago with uh, a number of different individuals, is a field guide to corn diseases. And that is available th through the University of Minnesota Bookstore for $7. It's a, it's a very nice guide with color photos 
and basic um, identification and management information for a variety of different corn diseases. So again, that's also a very good resource available to you in the soda bookstore. Well, thank you. Those are certainly good resources, and I know a number of those are obtainable also in terms of linking back through the University of Minnesota Extension and some of our crops pages and finding out more about the disease as well. Well, this brings to conclusion this podcast with an emphasis on corn and soybean diseases with Dr. Dean Melvick here again at the University of Minnesota Extension faculty, also working with corn and soybeans and director of graduate studies. This is Dave Nikolai with the University of Minnesota, and I also want to thank Anthony today uh, from the entomology department, and he has got great assistance in the final editing of these uh, podcasts, and we look forward to talking to more about the IPM concepts and practices here in the state of Minnesota in future podcasts. Thank you very much.